Acts chapter 10, we're in a series of messages on uh, real church. And uh, we've, these last few weeks, we've been looking at, beings we're under real church, real salvation. You have a lot of different opinions and ideals and ideologies about how must a man go to heaven. But it is important that we know what does God say about going to heaven. After all, heaven is where God dwells. And it would be important to know what He thinks and what He has declared and what He has said. Now, when we left off last week, we preached on the conversion of Saul, who is later to be known as the Apostle Paul, who is responsible for writing about 13 books in the New Testament. But I want to read a verse before I get into chapter 10. I want to read a verse here in chapter 9 about verse 31. And why is because the church multiplies again. When we left it, it was at 52,000 people there in Jerusalem. But now persecution has come, and it is scattered, uh, these church members. And look at the wording of the Word of God in verse 31. He says, Then had the churches. So we went from the church there in Jerusalem to now they begin to start churches. And persecution had scattered them. People are getting saved because when you've been born again, you can't help but tell others about Jesus. It's uh, as it's been described before. It's one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. Uh, and the bread of life is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says here, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, yeah, at the conversion of Saul, who was making havoc of the churches. When he got saved, uh, that stopped for a time. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Now, just for simple math, you could take 52,000 times it by two. We understand that if it's multiplied, it's more than one. And so just times it by two, it could have multiplied by a multiple of three or four or five or six. I don't know that where the Bible's vague. Uh, maybe we should take it as a cue as we are, should be vague, but we know it's more than one. And so I just times it by two, and now you've got over 100,000 Christians that are in different churches now and working and spreading the gospel and ministering to people. So now we're getting to chapter 10. Cornelius, this is the conversion, uh, some say, of the first Gentile that has been recorded in the Bible that gets saved. Now that's important because up until this point, in the early part of the book of Acts, the main spokesman is the apostle Peter, who was the apostle to the circumcision, the Jew. And they were preaching the gospel only to the Jews. A lot of people get that uh, con confused. They don't understand their context, but it was Jews because uh, it had always been about the Jew in the Bible. And in the Bible it said if you wanted in on the promises of God and the blessings of God, you would have to become a proselyte Jew. So Peter and those apostles are preaching only to Jews. And even uh, the apostle Paul later says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we see this. And so this 
many believe to be the first conversion of a Gentile that's been recorded in the Word of God. It's important because now we're learning the mind of God and what God had intended, uh, which later becomes to be a very hot topic in the Bible, is can Gentiles get saved or can only an elect group of people get saved in their context, Jews? And of course, God answers that. God is not a respecter of persons. He says you can be Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter. You can be bond or free. Whosoever will may come. And so we see this open up, this gospel, this way of Christ. And I do want you to see this there if you was to back up to chapter 9 about verse 2. This is what the Saul was doing before he got saved. He was persecuting people, and he says, And he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way. You say, now what way is that? Well, they're in reference to Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Many people today, many religions and different religions try to come to God outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible is so very clear that the only way to have access to the Father is through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the visible form of the invisible God. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Uh, you say, well, I don't really believe that. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what the people down the street believe. It matters what God has said. And thus saith the Lord in the Scriptures, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, He's clear to tell you that Jesus Christ is the visible manifestation of the invisible God 1 John chapter 5 about verse 8 and 9 he says that the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost he says and these three are one. So very clear. John 1 1 says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then he says in about verse 12 and the Word or verse 14 and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. And who was that that become flesh? Jesus. Who's the Word? Jesus. And your Bible has told you in no less than three or four or five different places that Jesus is God. Remember in the conversion of Saul, Saul, the, uh, the, before he was Apostle Paul, he only worshipped Jehovah. He was a Judaizer. He was in, steeped into Judaism. And he only knew of one God, and that was Jehovah. He wasn't worshipping idols. He wasn't worshipping Buddha or Baal or any of the other false gods of the day. But he was worshipping Jehovah... And he says, when God knocks him down there, he says, Who art thou, Lord? And what does the Bible say that God said to him? Jehovah says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. My, my, isn't the Bible lovely? It's not going to leave it up for debates. Who is this man, Jesus? Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh. He is the Son of Man, the Son of God. He is the visible form of the invisible God. Now here, Cornelius, verse 1 of chapter 10 of Acts. Look with me, please. 
And says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that had feared God with all his house, which gave much, much alms to people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, now I'm not going to read the whole chapter. He tells Cornelius to send for Peter, who was lodged with one Simon the Tanner. Peter at this time was not going to preach the gospel to any Gentile. It was forbidden for a Jew to even enter into a house of a Gentile. And so God has to teach him a lesson. He lowers a sheet down of all manner of unclean animals. You see, Jews, they were not allowed to eat pork. They were not allowed to eat shrimp. They couldn't eat catfish. A lot of things they couldn't eat, so I'm not a Jew. But I do know this. Baby back ribs will be on the menu at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You say, how do you know this? Because God had to teach Peter the beauty of pork. Please don't strike me dead, Lord. <laughs> it was God who set that up in the Old Testament. You say, what do you, what do you mean? Well, he, he let down a sheet of all manner of these unclean beasts that the Bible had determined were unclean, and, and pigs was one of them. And so he says, now you don't call what I have created common or unclean. And the Lord was teaching by association, illustration. That's one of the three ways that God will teach us in the Bible. One, by repetition. Two, by contrast. Three, by illustration or association. And he says, these unclean animals, you understand that you're forbidden to eat them. But he says, don't you call them common or unclean. And Peter later, let's get it here, watch this. Now turn to about verse 34. Because Peter gets the lesson. And he goes down with these men to this centurion, Cornelius. Verse 34. And Peter... Or then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive, he said, I'm discerning because of what God's just taught me, that God is no respecter of persons. So he said a mouthful there. He said, I'm seeing, and the Holy Spirit of God has laid it on me and taught me that Gentiles are going to be allowed to get saved. Jesus in our Bible says in Ephesians 2 about verse 20 or, or back up just a little bit. He says God had broke down that middle wall of partition. Remember in the Old Testament you had to keep the law and you had to, had to be a Jew to get in on those promises. And God said I'm breaking that wall down. Whosoever will may come. You don't have to become a Jew to be saved. That's a merit-based system. And so Peter says, I'm seeing that God is not a respecter of persons, but in every nation. He that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. There it is again. He's Jehovah of all. Let us pray and let us get into this conversion of Cornelius. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Lord, help us this morning. 
Open the eyes of the blind. Edify the hearts of the discouraged. Father, let us understand today that we trust and believe and have accepted you as our Savior. And Lord, if there be any of this not this way, help them to see. Let the Holy Spirit of God work on their hearts that they can accept you today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, with the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, see, that was the week before last, we understood that the Scriptures really focused on this word believe because the Ethiopian eunuch, upon hearing the preaching of Jesus, said, well, here's some water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip says, if thou believest with all thine heart, Thou mayest. You see, water baptism can't save you. And the Bible is so clear on that. He says, no, you must believe. And we got into what that word believe means in the Bible. It doesn't mean just to mentally acknowledge. It means to pledge yourself to, to live in accordance with, to go along with. And that's exactly how the Bible uses it. It's an old Anglo-Saxon word. And it's a two-part word put together, B and E, which means state of being. But leave, L-I-E-V-E, is an old English word who has its roots in love. Kind of like when you got married, you agreed to go along with your spouse to love and to protect and to keep them. That's what the Master wants us to see when we're going to believe in Jesus Christ, that we're agreeing to go along with, we're agreeing to be and live our lives in accordance with. But then Saul's conversion, what comes out, and by the way, the Ethiopian eunuch was a religious man. He was a proselyte Jew who worshipped in Jerusalem. And then we see that Saul was a very religious man. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was wrapped up and steeped into Judaism, who had rejected the Messiah. Very religious man. But then we see that God emphasized saved to serve. Remember, those are the two most important questions you'll ever ask in your life. And that's not what's for breakfast and what's for dinner. It's, Lord, who art thou? And number two, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? If when you can think back into your mind of the moment of your conversion, if that wasn't in your mind, I would check up on that. Because it is clear from Scripture, not my opinion, that when God saves you, He doesn't save you to sit. He doesn't save you to sit, soak, and sour. He saves you to serve. And you should be actively right now serving in some capacity in a local New Testament church. And we're going to get into that in chapter 11 because we see the Apostle Paul join himself to the church of Antioch. Now today, we're seeing this conversion of Cornelius. 
And we see that this Cornelius, the Bible says he's a devout man. That means he is deeply religious. And he has a devotion to it. The Bible said that he feared God with his whole house. That didn't mean that daddy was all for it, but mommy and the kids weren't. He was a leader in his home. He was the man of the house. He was the one getting up saying, No, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This was a devout man. And he gave much alms and prayed to God always. Say, well, man, he's a saved man. Well, most Baptist churches would consider him saved and made him a deacon. Other churches probably would have considered him for senior pastorship. I mean, does he not look good there? But I submit to you this morning, that man was lost. (laughs) And I believe there's a lot of lost pastors in pulpits today that have never had a born-again experience. They're good men. They're devout. (laughs) They rule their houses. They give much alms. They pray always, but they're lost. I'm meddling, ain't I? It's true, because if it wasn't true, our churches wouldn't be in the mess that they're in in America today. There's things going on in churches that we can't even talk about. Pull up some of the live stream feeds and see what they're calling worship. It ain't worship, it's entertainment. They're parading ponies around and horses around and dancing the river dance and smoke and lights and mirrors. That's not in the Bible when it comes to godly worship. Now it is in the Bible, but it's always under Baal worship is where you find that. And so Cornelius, a very devout man. I remember years ago, in Blooming Grove Baptist Church, there was a man named Mr. Ward. And he was a devout man. He actually who, is who I thought about when I was reading and preparing for this sermon. And I remember Mr. Ward. He used to come and he was there every service. He was a giver. He prayed. He was a very good man, had a good family, and he had been coming there a year. And some of the other men, we were talking after services and after Mr. Ward had left, they said, well, man, that Mr. Ward, he's just a saved man. He's a good Christian. And, of course, my father and I, we had a little inside information. And sometimes the pastor does have inside information. And we said, no, he's not born again. They said, oh, no. He is born again. We know he is. So no man could sit in a church, a Bible-preaching church, for a whole year solid and still be a lost man. Why, sure. One sit in the church there that Christ started for three and a half years and was a devil, never did get converted. He kissed the doors of heaven. Jesus says, I'm the door. Kissed the doors of heaven. That's how close he was to going to heaven and still died and went to hell So don't tell me they can't sit there. Jesus, the perfect pastor. Jesus, the perfect preacher. Jesus, the perfect uh, Lamb of God. And there he sat three and a half years under that ministry, lost. So it can happen. And these men in the church disagreed with my father and I. We said, no, you need to be praying for him that he gets uh, saved. Oh, no. I kid you not, as God is my witness, it wasn't two weeks later we was having a testimony service. Mr. Ward stood up. said, you know, I'd really like to 
thank God for this church. Good church. And he says, you know, I'd like to thank God for my family. I have a good family. Thank God for my health. But I want you all to pray for me because I'm lost. And I'd like to get saved tonight. Boy, you should have seen everybody's mouths drop open. We had had that conversation a couple weeks ago. You know what? Mr. Ward got saved that night. What I'm saying is a lot of religions of today and what makes Christianity so different is other religions are merit-based. They're merit-based. That means you've got to do something in order to earn or attain what they would consider eternal life. And if you fail in any way, then it starts all over again. You see, the Bible is unique. And Christianity, the way the Bible explains it, is we cannot come to God on a merit-based system. You could be uh, devout as Cornelius. Cornelius prayed to God, and God heard his prayers. But he was bypassing Jesus Christ. And God knew that. You see... A merit-based system or merit-based salvation is not going to work. Keeping the sacraments of a church is not going to help you get saved. Becoming a Jew is not going to help you get saved. Doing good things and having a good family and giving a lot of money to the church. And I want you to give a lot of money to the church. <laughs> By the way, we need to take a love offering after the service today to help us offset the coming homecoming. When you pull in a group and a preacher from out of the area, we're going to need some help. And I'm calling on the help, which is a good opportunity to tell you one of the quotes I come up with. I didn't read it. I just, I'm up with it. And I think now is a good time to say that. If your Christianity has a lower standard of living than this lost man's Christianity, who is a lost man, there is positively something wrong with your Christianity. We should want to do more as children of God than Cornelius was doing. This is a lost man trying to come to God on good merit. And it wasn't good enough. Let me give you another illustration. I'm going to use me and Jim. When we get to Dayton, you know. Now, Jen, and one of the things I fell in love with right away is she can make excellent iced tea. It's not too sweet. I don't like your all sweet tea down here. And it's not too bitter. It's just right. She has a unique way of doing that. I just fell in love with that. But I'll tell you something else she can do. She can fry some chicken. <laughs> I mean, she can fry some chicken. She doesn't do it a lot. She can fry some chicken, and I like that too. But what would happen, and what would you think of me if I would have told Jen, Jen, I want you at least one time a week, if I'm to marry you, you're going to have to make me a pitcher of your iced tea, and I need at least one meal 
of your famous fried chicken. And if you fail after we get married, whether it's five years, ten years, you've got to do this every week. At least one time. Then that ends the agreement. And we will no longer be married. You would think, Pastor, that's silly. There's no way because of how life is and what comes up and the things that we go through. What happens if she got bad sick? It doesn't matter. She better have that iced tea and that fried chicken. Preacher, that's not right. You're right, that's not right. How come we don't think that way when it talks about and we talk about God and salvation? We think we got to earn it. We think God's got us on a merit basis and that we got to do uh, the, the catechism or we got to keep uh, uh, the, the church's ordinance or we got to be baptized or we got to join. Uh, and then if we ever fail, if we get sick and we, we can't make it to church or we go on vacation and we skip church, we're lost. That's a merit-based salvation, and that's not in the Bible when it comes to salvation by grace. That's why this Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Being a good, devout man will not land you in heaven. And I'm not saying don't be good and don't be devout. And I'm not saying don't give much alms. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you, if you're doing that to try to earn merit with God, it's not going to work. And we see this here with Cornelius, a very devout man. Most people would have considered him a good Christian. But the Bible is declaring that religion will not save you. But then, we get to this part where I see that God's way and God's will, God's way is people. God's way is the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to go to heaven? You want to miss hell? You want God's blessing on your life? Then God's way is Jesus. And what you do with Jesus is going to determine what God does with you. But God's will is people. And that's why God spoke to Cornelius. Cornelius was searching for answers. I dare say Cornelius might have thought something was missing in his life. God, and by the way, a side note, if you need light and you need wisdom, you need to ask God because God will give it. But in this instant, God gives this light through another person because God's will is people. And so God teaches Peter and God was going to use Peter to be the answer to Cornelius' prayer. Did you ever stop to think about that? God's way is people reaching people. And God uses Peter 
to answer Cornelius' prayer. If Peter wouldn't have went, Cornelius might not have got the answer God wanted him to have. Thank God. Because Peter knew, like Paul knew, that he had been saved to serve. And that God was going to use him to be the answer to someone else's prayer. The Bible says this in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God sends Peter after he had to straighten Peter out a little bit. Peter's over there thinking only the elect can get saved. Now, I, I didn't promise myself I wouldn't say this, but I'm going to say this. I understand some people might say, Preacher, you should never say the word stupid in a pulpit. And maybe I'll reach that spiritual level that you're at someday. But right now, I'm not there. At least Peter and these Jews were not so stupid as to think that some people were predestined for heaven and predestined to hell. Yes, they did believe that only the elect could get saved, but they said you have to be a Jew first to get saved. you got to be part of the elect. So this stuff running around about Calvinism where some people are ordained to heaven and some people are ordained to hell, there's nothing they can do to change it. That's demonic theology because not even these Pharisees believe that. If you wanted to be part of the elect, then join and become a proselyte Jew. Somebody prove me wrong. Won't happen because that's how the Bible is. The Bible is real clear that whosoever will may come whosoever will and we're not going to twist the scripture and say well that only means those elect group of people Let, no let's not worry about what you think it means what did it say whosoever will may come amen it's addressed to me and it's addressed to you and we cannot bypass the Lord Jesus Christ we cannot access the father we cannot access eternal life without Jesus and today, Christians, you're sitting here. Maybe God wants to use you in a capacity of service that you're going to be the answer to somebody else's prayer. That's why it's important to be in the house of God. That's why it's important to always live your life as, as the gospel has become the gospel. People are searching for answers. And so God, His way is people. His will is to reach people. The scriptures say this in Romans 10, 14, and I'm quoting the last part of that verse. And how shall they believe and him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? I want to ask you this question, Christian. Whose prayers are not being answered today because you're unwilling to be God's answers to their prayer. Because God's will is people. God's will is people. Well, then we get into the last part of this message, and I'm hurrying along. In verse 34 here, we begin to see that God's work is people. 
You know, we had a, I, I believe we had a great service already today. I, I believe that's how I remember when I was a kid, church. That's how I remember it. I, I remember that a service had good congregational singing. And then we would have people, whether from the congregation, mostly from the congregation, but sometimes from outside the congregation come in, maybe visiting, such as Brother Clyde and Sister Melissa are today. And they have a talent. They want to be a blessing to the church. And, and, and that's their capacity to serve. And they want to do that wherever they go. Amen. And I know their pastor. And I know they're a member of a church in good standing. They're not trying to bypass the system. They're working within the boundaries God has laid down. And that's one of the things I look for when I bring singers in. A brother Warren had called me this week. He is a man who has a home church, who has a pastor. If I was to call his pastor, his pastor says when he's not, when he's in town, he's here, he's faithful, and he's here to serve. I'm careful with that. You need to be a member in good standing, a local church that has a pastor. You have accountability. But are you, because God's work is people, willing to be the answer to somebody's prayer? We see this work. God has taught Peter that God is no respecter of persons. It's there. God is no respecter of persons. That means some are not predestined to heaven and some predestined to hell, and they can't change that. God's not a respecter. You don't have to be a Jew to get saved. You don't have to be a proselyte Jew. You did in the Old Testament, but not in the New Testament. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by the Lord Jesus Christ. And See, he broke down that middle wall partition. Whosoever will may come. Salvation is for all who would come. It's been said, and I agree with this, always preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. Think about that. Always preach. If I knew who quote, said that, I'd give them credit. But the person I got it from didn't know where it come from either. But I'm telling you, whoever said that, they had spent some time thinking about that. Always preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. Amen. Because God's work is people. Peter preaches the gospel according to the scriptures. He starts with the prophecy in scriptures that Jesus had been prophesied by the prophets that there was a Messiah, a Son of God coming to pay the sin debt of the world. And He did come. And His name was Jesus. If we would have took the time to read that rest of that chapter, it is all in that chapter. You would find that in verses 36 and again in verse 30 or 43. So He's preaching to him the gospel which is the work and content of Christ. You see, the gospel's not about us. The gospel's not about, and I've heard this preached this week. It was false. This guy was selling 
salvation, he says, oh, by the way, you're giving Jesus permission to be the Lord of your life. And what he did was he played what we call a bait and switch. He switched the emphasis of the gospel. You get saved on God's terms and God's way. You either take it or you leave it. You're not in control of God. And so people, because they got to have those numbers, you are in control. You're giving God Jehovah permission to be Lord. Nah, take the plea deal or not. He died, buried, and was rose again. Salvation's not about you. It's not about you and your bad self and how many selfies you can portray on Facebook, social media, and all that. It's not about you. Salvation is not a religion. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's different about Christianity. Religion says merit. You must earn it. And so we're going to give you more information about God. But Christ in the Bible says, no, it's a relationship. And it comes by grace. It's a free gift. You see, in verse 38 we see that Peter says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He said, what, what's he saying there? Well, he's saying he doesn't care what you think about Jesus. Uh, and what I mean by that. Some people say, well, I don't believe in Jesus. And so they think that's okay because they don't believe it, that Jesus ain't real. The question is, what did God say? God said, I've anointed him. He is the Messiah. He's the Savior. And you have your life's opportunity to accept him. If you reject him, you're siding with Satan. And the penalty is forever in a devil's hell. Now, God doesn't want you to go there. He's not willing that you perish. He wants you to take the plea deal. And so he told this Cornelius that Jesus, because Cornelius didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior, he was worshiping God. Devout man, religious, good merit. I've got it. If anybody's got it, I got it. He's better than probably 50% of pastors. But he was lost. It's not about merit. It's about Jesus, the anointed of God. Verse 39, Peter tells Cornelius how Jesus had died. Death, burial, resurrection. And that he rose again the third day in verse 40. You see... You can tell people about God, and I hear a lot about that. You can tell people about heaven. You can tell people about the cross. But if in your presentation, in your speech, if there is no affirmation of the resurrection, you have not declared to them the gospel. Because if Christ never rose again, what we're believing and preaching is vain. It all hinges 
on. He arose from the dead the third day. And then Peter says, because I'm not talking about blind faith. I'm not talking about stupid faith. I'm talking about our faith, biblical faith, is based off of substance and evidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God's not asking you to have blind faith. Cults do that. People that fly jets into buildings have that kind of faith. That's not what God is demanding of us. Our faith is based upon substance and evidence. And Peter says, I'm an eyewitness that I ate with him, I spent time with him after he arose from the dead. And not only I, but a lot of other people. God's not asking you to put your faith in something blindly. There's evidence. There's eyewitness testimony. You say, well, I don't think that to be credible evidence. Then you've got to throw out all history about Alexander the Great. You've got to throw out all history, recorded history, about Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, because you've never met them or seen them either. All we've got is testimony and writings from people that were there during that time. That's a silly argument. This Bible is true. This evidence is true. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You're yet in your sins. It hinges on the resurrection. You could be a devout man, a devout person. You could pray all the way to God. You could give lots and large sums of money to charity and to church. And I wouldn't discourage you from doing that. But only Jesus will get you access to God and to heaven and to eternal life. Cornelius, a good man, but he was lost. Cornelius, a giving man, but he was lost. Now in closing, to draw your attention to verse 42. Peter tells Cornelius that God, let's read it. And he commanded us to preach unto the people. God has commanded us because we're saved to serve. And to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. What did God say? God says the judge is Jesus Christ. He's going to judge the quick, that's the living, and the dead. Uh-oh. Yeah, you're not bypassing Jesus. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Doesn't matter whether you believe that or not. What matters is what God has said. It's important for you to know this judge personally. Yeah, amen. If Jesus is to be the judge, I would encourage you to start a relationship with him. 
Jesus can be your advocate. The Bible says He can be our judge and our advocate. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. If we sin, we have an advocate with His Father. And Jesus as a judge, because God has put all power into His hands. And He's going to judge the quick and the dead. The judge has made a plea deal for whosoever will. I think everybody in here is familiar with plea deals in some shape or form. You need, like Cornelius, he needed this plea deal and he accepted God's plea deal. And that plea deal is, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. God's going to take you how you are. There's nothing you can do to earn it. The merit-based system that most religions are made up of today is deceptive of, and deception by Satan. There's only one way. And Jesus said that. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And Peter learns that even Gentiles can get in. And they're going to get in by receiving Christ as the Lord of their life. By believing in Him. Not on blind faith, but on substance and evidence and eyewitness testimony and the very words of God that have been prophesied and come to pass. And Cornelius accepts Jesus. Walks away a saved man. Now he didn't stop being a devout man being a good man he didn't stop praying all he didn't stop giving alms now he was supporting church he was a better man because he was a saved man how about you lost person have you received jesus christ have you believed have you pledged your life to go along with to live in accordance with god's law that's what the word believe means all three of these men that the Bible has showed us that get saved, they come to the cross one way. Saul was a persecutor of the church. Ethiopian eunuch, a Judaizer. Cornelius, a good man. But they walk from the cross a different man. Ethiopian eunuch is now preaching the gospel in Ethiopia. Saul stops persecuting the church. Old things were passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let me ask this question this way. Have you ever started in your memory, in your life, a new journey with Christ? Or did, when you made your profession, did everything just pretty much remain the same? Tried that. Whatever. Well, the problem was, you didn't experience being born again. That's why you didn't walk away a new creature in Christ. That's why your life is still the way it's always been. It's been on the same path it's always been. Because in your mind, someone deceived you, confused you, that believing only meant to mentally acknowledge. Oh yeah, I believe Jesus is real. I hear that all the time. Oh yeah, Jesus is real. I believe in God. 
so did Cornelius. No. Has there been a point in time when you realized that what you were doing was not going to be good enough and you were lost and undone in your sins and that the only way that you could be saved and, and to reconcile, be reconciled to God from the enmity that you were in was to receive Christ, to believe in the work, the finished work the Lord Jesus Christ did and that you, at that moment of belief, your mindset was not carnal, it wasn't selfish, well, I just, I just need fire insurance. Everybody was doing it. Everybody had come up, shook the preacher's hand. Selfish. I want to look good. I want to be counted. That's not salvation. Your mindset wasn't criminal. Well, I, 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 want, I, want, to, I want to get people off my back. I, I, want to, I want to trick people. And I want to use this power like, oh, yeah, I'm somebody. Like Simon the sorcerer. And your mindset wasn't a confidence game. What I mean by that was a con job where you were trying to, I just need to hide so I can be me. And man, I'm being hounded by this Jesus, this salvation thing. Okay, okay, all right, okay. Let me, run me through that prayer. If that was your attitude, you're lost as the day is long. You see, that's not going to work. You had the wrong mindset. You need to have a biblical mindset. But you need Jesus. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And you need to pledge yourself to walk the rest of your life in accordance with Jesus and his word. Let's all stand this morning.